Let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 4, verse number 1. Today will be the second part in a topical study on the timing of the rapture of the church. Again, I'm taking this information from a paper that I wrote back in 2012 uh, for one of my courses. Um, we've already discussed the fact of the rapture, that the Bible does indeed point to a, a, a future event that is referred to as the rapture. And then we, we discussed last time the first uh, of the views in regards to the timing of the rapture, and that is the post-tribulational view, which believes that the rapture will happen simultaneously with the second coming at the end of the seven-year tribulation. The second most popular view is what is called the mid-tribulational view of the rapture. It's called the mid-tribulational. The second of these views will occur at, occur at the midpoint of the tribulation, and even though the church will be on this earth for the first three and a half years, this view states that it will be removed for the final three and a half years. Many who support this view will go to Revelation 11 where it speaks of the two witnesses and say that they represent the rapture when they are taken up in Revelation chapter number 11, verse 11, where it says, now after the three and a half day, now after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered into them and they stood on their feet and great fear fell on all those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. Now they equate the command in this verse, come up here, as the rapture of the church. Another proof text for those who embrace this view is found in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one, where it says, Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we all shall be changed. Now, while this verse does indeed refer to the rapture, they equate it with the sounding of the seventh trumpet, of Revelation chapter 11 verse number 15 where it says the kingdom of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Now of course the reasoning is that both of these verses refer to the sounding of the same trumpet or the seventh trumpet. Now another point that those who hold this view will make is that the first half of the tribulation is not really the wrath of God as we discussed earlier and that it does not commence, that wrath of God does not commence until the midpoint of the tribulation. Thus there is room to have the church around during the first three and a half years of the tribulation without violating scripture. However, this is a hard point to defend because what it because what take place takes place after the midpoint of the tribulation it says in revelation 13:7 it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them and authority was given him over every tribe tongue and nation if the church is really raptured at the midpoint of the tribulation as those who hold this view say then who are the saints that will be overcome by the antichrist they can't be the tribulation saints because the ones who hold this view say that the that the rapture has already happened. They've already the church has already been removed. Another problem with this view is that the rapture is referred to as a mystery in Scripture. 
1 Corinthians 15, 51 speaks of this mystery when it says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. A mystery, by definition, is something that is kept secret, remains unexplained, or unknown. It would hardly be a mystery that remains unexplained or unknown if the book of Revelation made it understandable. Now, that's the mid-tribulational view. And then the final view is the pre-tribulational view. In other words, the third and final of these views that will be discussed is pre-tribulation. This view asserts that the rapture will occur at the close of the church age and will be the event that ushers in the tribulation. Those who hold this view have a wealth of scripture to turn to without contradiction, contradicting other portions of scripture and maintaining good hermeneutics in the process. First, if you take the book of Revelation literally, you need only look at the outline that is given in chapter number 1, verse number 19, to determine the approximate time of the rapture. It says, John was told by the angel, write the things which you have seen, number one, the things which are, and the things that will take place after this. Here we find the division of the book. Chapter 1 is the things that John saw. Chapters 2 and 3 are the things which are. And most in this view agree that this speaks of the age of the church or the dispensation of the church that will come to a conclusion at the end of the Laodicean age. And then chapters 4 through 22 are the things that will take place after this. This speaks of a time that will occur after the church is removed from the earth and the tribulation commences. The Greek word for after this, as found in chapter 1, verse number 19, is meta tauta. The next time this word is seen in Revelation 4, 1, when it says, After this, or after these things, I looked and behold, a door was open. However, there are those who contend that the significance of this word should not be taken in the pragmatic or dispensational, or programmatic or dispensational sense. However, that is not the view of a pre-tribulationalist. Also, another interesting thing to note about the book of the Revelation is that after chapter number 3, the church, or after chapter number 4, the church is not ever mentioned again until chapter number 19 when it returns with Christ. So at the conclusion of chapter number 3, that is, and then chapter 4, verse number 1, the rapture occurs. The word church or ecclesia is not seen again until chapter number 19 when it returns with Christ. Why? Well, there can only be one of two reasons. The first would be that the church will be wiped out through persecution. However, that's impossible because there's a promise found in Matthew. It says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. A pre-tribulationalist would find this reason unscriptural. Of course, the second and most obvious reason to the pre-tribulationalist is that the church has been removed by way of the rapture. The second is that the Antichrist cannot be revealed until the church is taken out of the way, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless, the number one, the falling away comes first, and the man of sin, the Antichrist, is revealed. And now you know what is restraining. Restraining who? The Antichrist, that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, and only he, that's a capital he, referring to a member of the Godhead, who now restrains, will do so until he, capital he, member of the Godhead, is taken out of the way. 
Notice that this restrainer is in the masculine gender. This is referring to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. Now, some would argue that this speaks of the Holy Spirit only, while others would argue that it speaks not of the Holy Spirit specifically, but of the church that he indwells. Norman Geisler believes that the two are not mutually exclusive. The church must be removed before the Antichrist will be given permission to manifest himself to the world. Once the salt and the light, the church has been removed, there will be no one to stand in the Antichrist's way of total world domination. When the church is removed, God will also remove his restraining order over evil that is in the world. This will make way for the deception that is spoken of in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 9, where it says the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, and with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth when they had the chance that they might have been saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion, and they will believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not past tense believe the love of the truth, but instead chose to have pleasure in unrighteousness. You see, once God's hand is removed, all who dwell upon the earth, who had ample opportunity to make decision for Christ prior to the rapture will be deceived by the Antichrist without fail because of their rejection. The third reason is that the church has not been appointed to wrath. As, with, as was mentioned earlier, the time of the tribulation is a time of God's wrath upon a Christ-rejecting sinful world. Paul further supports this when he says in 1 Thessalonians 1.9, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from your idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who will deliver us from the wrath to come. The church is promised deliverance from the wrath to come. Another verse that seems to promise the church's deliverance from this awful time is found in Revelation 3:10 when Jesus said, "Because I have kept my command, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth." Another reason is the imminent return of Christ is kept intact under this view. Because we do not know when the Laodicean church will come to a close. Thus, we can still take the admonition of Jesus in Luke 21, 28, when he said, Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. You see, if the post-tribulational and the mid-tribulational views were correct, this aspect would be removed because the first says that the rapture occurs at the second coming, and the latter says that the rapture occurs at the breaking of the covenant between the Antichrist and, his, and the Jewish people, at the midpoint of the tribulation. Both of these would set a date on the rapture of the church and violate scripture. Again, Jesus said in Matthew 25, Watch therefore, for you know not the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. The fifth reason is that the early church was living with the expectation of the imminent return of Christ. 
They had been plainly told in John 14:3, If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. They were obviously expecting him to return at any time. I believe this is seen when Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives in Acts chapter number 1. And the angel said in verse 11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. You see, they had no idea at what that meant in regards to timing. They might have walked away thinking that Jesus would be back in a week. He'd be back in a month. He'd be back in a year. They simply did not know. As a matter of fact, 2 Thessalonians was written to convince them that he hadn't already returned. You know, something in Scripture that might have added to this anxiety in the early church was the timing of the death of the Apostle John. Because some felt that the Lord would return before his death. Now, this may have been believed because of Jesus' words to Peter in regards to John. Jesus said in John 21, 21, if I will that he remain till I come, and he was speaking to Peter, because Peter, you know, Jesus had just told Peter by what death he would die. When you get old, they're going to take you where you don't want to go. And then Peter said, well, what about this man? And Jesus said in verse 21, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And then this saying went out among the brethren that his, this disciple John would not die. Yet Jesus did not say of him that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Now, the sixth um, reason, I believe, is that the imminent return keeps the church pure. This has been referred to early in Matthew 24 and verse 42. It keeps the church pure because we do not know when he's coming back. So we must be ready at all times. We should be living our lives on a day-to-day -day basis, expecting the Lord Jesus to return at any time. And when we live in what that, what's called that imminency of the return of Christ, it promotes purity in our lives. The seventh reason is that God's pattern has always been to remove his people before judgment. You know, in Genesis 7 and verse number 6, Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters were on the earth. So Noah and his wife and his son's wives and his sons went into the ark because the waters of the flood. You see, God removed Noah and his family before he brought about the flood. Also in Genesis 18, we're told of a discourse that took place between Abraham and the angel of the Lord. When Abraham asked him in verse 23, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? When the, the Lord showed up with two angels and two of them went down into the cities of Sodom and Abraham is left alone with the Lord and the Lord reveals his plan to Abraham and Abraham realizing that his nephew Lot and his wife and his sons and their wives were down in Sodom, he said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? And the Lord's response in verses 26, 28, 29, 30, 31, and 32 was, I will not destroy it for the sake of of the righteous. Then later on in Genesis 19, we are told that the Lord sent angels into Sodom to make sure that Lot and his wife and his family were able to get out safely before the destruction actually came. As a matter of fact, it says in Genesis 19:16 that the angels literally had to drag Lot out of the city because of his hesitation. The pre-tribulationalist like me believes that this conclusively shows 
that that God will not judge the righteous with the wicked. You know, also the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 15, 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What government would declare war on a hostile enemy without first bringing home their ambassadors? None. And then the eighth and the final reason for the pre-tribulational view that I will give you is the prophecy in Daniel chapter number 9. The prophecy has to do with Israel, not the church. In Daniel 9.24 it says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. This is a reference to the Jewish people, not to the Gentiles. The 70th week of Daniel, and we can study that prophecy later, has to do with Israel not the Gentiles. This seven-year period that we call the, the tribulation has nothing to do with the Gentile church, you and me. It's got everything to do with the Jewish people. Now, with all those facts set before us, while I must confess that each view does have merit, I am sold on the pre-tribulational rapture of the church view. If I did have to choose a fallback position, I would have to land on the mid-tribulational view because the first three and a half years of the tribulation is described as a time of peace and it could be argued that the church could be here during that time since the Antichrist is not revealed until the midpoint and things go very badly from that point forward. However, in regards to the post-tribulational view, I find no merit in their position at all. Their argument really loses steam when it's obvious that they simply cannot explain the two resurrections. As a matter of fact, they can't seem to agree amongst themselves on the issue either. In the end, I agree with Josh McDowell when he said that there will always be divergent views about the end times that stem from divergent practices in the interpretation of Scripture. In my opinion, it is not a sufficient reason to break fellowship with any dear brother in Christ. I love and respect men who disagree on some things, but they all hold to the fundamental doctrines of the faith. We must simply take the admonition that was given to us by our Lord and Savior when he said in Revelation 22:20, 20, I am coming quickly. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. I hope that gives you a little bit of a breakdown of the three major views in regards to the timing of the rapture of the church and why I feel that the pre-tribulational view is the correct one. Next time we get together, we'll continue our study through the book of Revelation verse by verse and chapter by chapter. In the meantime, God bless you. Remember that God loves you, wants the best for you, and he's working all things out for your good.